Ladies and gentlemen, good morning and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs on January 13th, 2021. We have reached the final chapter of the Across the Cavs history mini series for Ben Jones, our pal over in England, Dan Galinsky, King James Gospel, and Justin Matcham from the Hoops Head Pod Network, Cavalier Central Podcast. Appreciate you all coming on and talking some history with me. It's been a lot of fun. You know, I'm only 25, as most of you know. So anything that happened with the Cavs from really pre-2002, 2003 for me is just foreign. So I'd be able to kind of take a deep dive and look. You know, there's so much that we don't know about our teams, even as we claim to be huge fans. I mean, I've watched probably 75% of the Cavs games of the last decade. Haven't missed a second this year. Passing up, watching Shows I wait all week for because the Cavs are on. They were down by 35 to Utah last night. Still tuned in. Is that a fault on my part? Maybe for making that decision. But, you know, when you love a team, you love a team. And, you know, it's funny. You look back at the 80s and the Michael Jordan three or the Michael Jordan push off, whatever you want to call it, shot over Elo. Everyone knows it happened. People mostly don't know that Craig Elo made a layup right before it and would have been hailed the hero if not. Oh, what the headlines would have read had Jordan lost to these Cavs. You could never get over the hump. But what you wouldn't know about that series is Mark Price missed game one. Unless you're doing an extensive search. I mean, how many of us have time to go back to 1988-89 and look at every box score of the Cavs that season and in the playoffs? You don't. We don't always know. And you look back at a series uh, 20 years after it happened. Who's healthy? Who's not? The Cavs are great at home in the playoffs all decade. If they had Mark Price, they'd probably beat the Bulls in four. That wasn't how it worked out. You know, it is what it is, but it's, it's an interesting situation. You know, Cavs lose on that shot, but there's so much more than meets the eye, more than that one clip of MJ hitting the shot, jumping and pumping his fist at the foul line that's been injected into the veins of every sports fan that's ever turned on a TV in their life. And on that one, on that, on that note, rather, we go into our final decade, the most recent Cavs decade, the fifth one. The 2010s, introducing today's guest, Evan Damarell of Locked On Cavs. He writes for Forbes, Fear the Sword. You're all about the Cavs, my man. How are you? Yeah, I guess I kind of am. It's a, It's been a weird time this season with what's going on with Cleveland, and we picked a fun decade to talk about. But, no, I'm doing well. It's a, it's, a, it's a warm, actually warm day in Northeast Ohio for a change, which I'll take in the middle of January. But I'm, I'm good otherwise. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, still thinking about that game from last night, but given given that it happened in 2021, it will not get mentioned today. Although uh, I guess shout out Yogi Ferrell for coming in. Not as hot as he did when he debuted with Dallas, but still pretty solid. As the decade, Evan, you know, for the Cavs didn't start off very weird, actually. Yeah, it started off very weird. The Cavs, maybe the weirdest thing was after Dan Gilbert said, we're going to win a title before you, LeBron. The Cavs started seven and nine. We're going to jump right there. Cavs started 7-9, Evan, in LeBron's absence, 2010-11. LeBron comes to town, and you just knew that the atmosphere of that night's game was going to be something we'll never see again. They hated him. Mm-hmm. No, it was it was definitely a weird time because the Cavs were 7-9, and I think Miami was struggling out of the gates as well, so Cleveland fans were getting a lot of shot and fraud out of that, and then there's all these negative just headlines that are associated with LeBron heading into this just match up as well. Like where he's like a traitor, he's a villain. He left the city that loved him to go take the easy route, blah, blah, blah. And you know, that was uh that game was a real turning point for both organizations because 
Cleveland heading into that game was actually was seven and 11. And then they proceeded to go on quite the losing streak. And then they, uh, you know, finished the year overall at 17 and 60 or sorry, 19 and 63. My apologies, but no. And then the heat obviously went on to win, make the NBA finals. They lose to Dallas, but no, it was, it was a playoff atmosphere game for, clearly one team that was too talented and then a team in the heat and then one team that, and still figuring it out in the heat. And then there's a team in Cleveland who was just kind of an overachiever at that point. I think that's just kind of symptomatic of a Byron Scott coach team where they're going to be in phenomenal shape and the rest of the league is still playing themselves into shape. So they'll surprise a few teams early and um, it all kind of worked out in the end, just based on who Cleveland was able to draft the following year heading into next season. But yeah, that was a bit of a gut punch because the, the heat and LeBron especially showed no mercy to the Cavs in that game. And it, it felt like watching grown men play boys. <laughs> that was, that's a great way to put it. Honestly, you know, the signs were incredible. The booing was, was unreal by the way. So the Cavs would lose this one to the heat, which was their second loss in a row after losing to the Celtics. The game was played on, December 2nd. Their next win was on December 18th against the Knicks in overtime, I'll add. Then you have to go all the way ahead to February 11th. The Cavs lost 26 in a row. I I mean... Which was an NBA record at the time. It was an NBA record at the time. And just the fact that that's real life and it happened. And then Mo Williams is just like, let me just be the best player in the world for a day to, to end it. I mean, it was a weird season. You look at some of the guys that played for the Cavs. Uh, it was the end of the Jawad Williams era. I didn't miss that. I didn't miss a, the guy that didn't really need the goatee, rocking the goatee erroneously. You know, uh, Ramon Sessions had a nice year. I think he actually led the Cavs in win shares on this team. You know, J.J. Hickson, the guy that was kept instead of being traded for Ramar, he had 13 and nine. His career ended at 27, oddly. Anthony Parker and Anton Jameson were just awkward fits on a team that didn't really try to win much. Manny Harris. Finally got to see Christian Ianga, who really didn't. Christian Ianga, I guess, turned into whatever they got from the Lakers in the following year, which we'll get to. I mean, was this the year Ianga uh, froze his foot during therapy, and then he had frostbite, or yeah, he had frostbite on his feet, so he wasn't able to play. I was, yeah, I, I, I might have been. Oh so, yeah, because they they took him the year. You know what's funny? You know they only drafted Ianga, Evan, and I know you remember this too, because they didn't want any money on the books, so they they yep. knew he wouldn't play. <laughs> Yep. First round, but it's, it's a, it's a draft and draft draft and stash strategy. which is still used today, but um, no, I remember that first year Skyanka and everybody thought, yeah, no. Cause after that, he f- had frostbite on his foot the following season. He only played six games, six of which or seven games, six of which for Cleveland and one of which for LA. But yeah, no, we thought the sky was the limit for Ianga at first because he was just an athletic phenomenon, but clearly just, that didn't translate to actual basketball skill and yeah it all just kind of went downhill from there but yeah no it was a financially frugal move by the Cavs at least yeah that's very telling of how they operated unfortunately during LeBron's first run and I always loved Larry Hughes but it it didn't work I mean if he stayed healthy that's a whole nother story because he'd average 22 points and led the NBA in steals the prior he was in I think it might have been an all-NBA defensive caliber player the prior year but I mean you look at this roster some standouts my favorite were the Baron Davis games who averaged 14 and six, but with Baron Davis, they got the pick that turned into number one. You know, they were able to get two top four picks in the following draft by chance. You know, Luke Harangody showed up, Manny Harris played 54 games and a guy that 
became a four-year staple of the non-LeBron years. Alonzo G, one of my favorite Cavs, <laughs> I'd say. No, Alonzo G was a lot of fun. Baron Davis, what am I? He uh, he was definitely old and over the hill. And the real prize that came with Baron, we'll talk about probably in a second here, is the Clippers pick that turned into Kyrie Irving. Um, they flipped uh, Mo Williams for him, which was a fun trade at the time. Fun, interesting story with that is I uh, finally wanted the Cavs jersey after LeBron left because I had a LeBron one. And my mom and dad were like, oh, well, it's my birthday. It was around the corner. They're like, what do you want? And my birthday was in February. So I'm like, yeah, I really want a Mo Williams jersey. I'm like, okay. So I got a Mo Williams jersey for my birthday. And then the Cavs trade him not too long after that. So I'm like, I'm a damn jinx. But hey, it all worked out in the end because the best player to wear number two in franchise history came with it. But no, Baron Davis was fun. He was clearly out of shape overweight and over the hill at this point in his career 85 is a weird number so i dig that but he was instrumental in beating lebron in the heat in march i believe and that was cleveland's uh, the equivalent of a super bowl for the nba season like that was their big win and after that it was just kind of icing on the cake for me at least yeah no sorry about the mo jersey i can't relate i i mean i i don't this is a Cavs podcast i'll do it i gotta for some reason, something compelled me to get a Dwight Howard Lakers T-shirt uh, in April, before the right before the playoffs started, when he was on the Lakers, and mm-hmm. I don't know why I did that, but he was gone. I mean, you knew he was gone the second the season ended. I mean, that was just never gonna work. So that, that that's my Mo Williams. It's not as good of a story. I don't have a good backstory. I just really liked Dwight Howard, and my Magic yeah, shirt didn't fit you anymore. Like what? You like what you like. That's all that matters, right? Exactly. And as we move on now to the second year of the decade, Evan, you know, the, the recurring themes of the four years LeBron was gone was Alonzo G, Anderson Varejao's season-ending injury, sadly, and then Tristan Thompson improving every year. As we're on to mm-hmm. year two, where the Cavs acquire future NBA head coach Luke Walton from the Lakers. <laughs> Uh, you know, this was an interesting looking team. DJ Kennedy logged uh, 59 minutes over two games. Kyrie comes in, although he misses 30 games. That was, it was never talked about a ton in his early, in his formative years, but injuries played a huge part in those heavy loss campaigns. You know, this was a lockout shortened season. So there were only 66 games, but I guess, you know, some of the highs uh, from what I remember, Lester Hudson, Evan, came in here and turned into the clutchest player in the NBA for a short stretch. Yeah, I remember that was a weird time. Donald Sloan having a couple moments was big. Um, The bench unit of Luke Walton, Tristan Thompson, I think Anderson Verja was in there as well, along with, I believe, Wayne Ellington was on the team at that point. One year um, off, actually. Wayne was the one year off. So the following year, never mind. But Luke Walton was a little bit of the long play here. But So for this year, though, I also know Clay Thompson's little brother was here as well, which was – an interesting time as well. The Cavs uh, had the younger siblings of both of the Splash Brothers at some point on their team, which is fun <laughs> to think about now. But um, I remember that. And I remember Omri Caspi just couldn't keep it consistent. Uh, I think that's more Byron Scott's fault than anybody else, but that's just another ax to grind for a later date. But this Cavs team wasn't very good, but I will say this was the year I finally felt a little bit of hope because you watch Kyrie Irving play and you're like, okay, this kid's actually the real deal. I see why the Cavs took him first overall. And I was one of those people who flip flopped between him and Derek Williams because you could get Derek Williams and Kemba Walker at one and four, but they took 
Kyrie interested and clearly works out in 2016. But like when you watch Kyrie play, you're like, okay, this kid's the real deal. And the Cavs have a reason to be hopeful again, because they found the guy they can build around because that's what they were chasing when LeBron left. And there's a lot of cast offs and pieces from that former LeBron era still here, but yeah, no, this is an interesting time for sure. And I, I, it was a lot of losing, but I still had fun watching it because you could watch tangential growth of a lot of these young players too. Yeah, there was there was a lot of fun to be had in those years. And I just remember Michael Thompson was the opening day shooting guard. I'm like, oh, okay, cool, cool. And then he started a couple of games, and then all of a sudden he's just out of the rotation completely. I mean, I know uh, – and this is, this is really the only example I think of, maybe James Wiseman now, but when DeMar DeRozan was a rookie in Toronto, I think it was uh, the 09-10 season, he would start the games – and then he'd only play about maybe 18 to 20 minutes. So you're getting minimal run, but you're getting the chance to start. So it was an interesting decision that he stuck with it, but his minutes were like intentionally kept low. I, I never think that's good for development because guys got yeah. confidence quickly. But I mean, Michael, Michael Thompson wasn't – Michael Thompson's in the uh, big three now. He was on uh, power the last time there was a season. But I mean, Evan, you look – the interesting thing for me is that between, I mean, look, there's a lot of carryover players, but between 2010 and 2012, these two years, there were 32 different players in between the two years, whether it's carryovers or new guys to make at least one start. I think it was seven, 18, one year. I mean, the Cavs set that new high in 18, 19, but it's just, we, everyone started for them. It's just, there was no yeah. continuity. No, there really wasn't. And a lot of it was injuries. A lot of it was just the, Cavs trying to sh- offload assets from that last LeBron era to build towards the future. And um, it's just, a, it, there's no real continuity as well, like you said. And it, the part of it was Vergel, you know, not being able to stay healthy. And that was a consistent theme, like you said, for the last, for the next upcoming few seasons where Vergel would kind of put together a strong case. I don't know if it was, it was his, his Kyrie sophomore season when Vergel was averaging. 14 and 14 at one point. And yep. like some people were saying, Oh, he, he, he could get all-star consideration with how well he's playing for the Cavs because he's just a fun, goofy stretch five. And then he ruptures his Achilles. And I'm like that, that just, it's, it sucked the air out of the sales for the Cavs and me as a fan as well. But yeah, no, there's a lot of just weird pieces. I think either it was this season or the following season as well. I don't know if Heron Goody lasts much longer here. Um, no, it's this season. Heron Goody gets a, just a weird last minute start against the Washington Wizards, and he has a career high against them. And it was just a weird season. Like you said, it was a lockout shortened season as well. So it's just a lot of weird stuff going on. And um, yeah, no, but it is endearing as well. Like there is something just endearing about these cast squads for as bad as they were. And like I said, I think it's just the fact that you, there's something to be excited about in Kyrie and that you kind of you're okay with living through these, some of these bad moments. Yeah, and I also think that we were very spoiled for so long as fans that when they started losing, not only does it humble you a bit, but it teaches you, you know, that there's a lot more to it than just winning. It's not always going to be fun in games. I mean, it, it's fun in their games, but you know what I'm saying. Like, it's, it's mm-hmm. you got to appreciate what you have because it's not always going to be there. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. And it was, yeah, it was this season. He had Heron Goody, just looking at it now, he had 16 points, 10 rebounds, two assists, three steals, two blocks against the Wizards. And, like, you never saw that kind of production from Luke Heron Goody. He was a monster with the Canton charge at the time. But, um, yeah, he take you to, like, these, these small moments you remember because it leads up to something special. And, yeah, you learn not to take it for granted. And especially with what the, the current state of the Cavs are in now compared to where they were just a couple years ago. It's just, it's really, 
It's 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 fascinating. Yeah, it's the, the highs and the lows are nowhere near each other. There's no middle ground. As we go, yeah, you go 12-13 season. CJ Miles comes in and becomes one of the best shooters in Cavs history right off the bat. You know, this mm-hmm. is started Booby Gibson slowly started to get phased out here. He was still only 26. They're starting to find other guys to play. Jeremy Pargo became the guy when Kyrie was down. Tristan yeah. and G both played all 82. Deion Waiters comes in. Tyler Zeller comes in. The Cavs would trade Jared Cunningham, Bernard James, and Jay Crowder to get Tyler Zeller on draft night. Two of those guys would actually come back and play for the Cavs. A little nugget there. Yeah, but, that's, that's always a fun factoid is the guys that – two of the guys that they traded for Tyler Zeller ended up still playing for the Cavs. I always just thought that was interesting so many years later. Yeah, it's it's funny, you know, how that works. But Barrett Zhao was averaging 14 and 14. He had an 18-point, 25-rebound game against Orlando. But I, I think the, the the major takeaways, Evan, for, my, uh, for me on the 12-13 season, because there's not a ton to it, you know, uh, it was good to see two, two guys that could play all 82. You know, mm-hmm. there was no just rest because you're tired back then. Kyrie averaged 23 and six assists in his age 20 season. And uh, then you also had, I just like that Tristan showed his durability right then. He averaged 12 and nine, and he proved that he was going to be a good player along Kyrie for a number of years. Yeah, no, it really was. Like Tristan and Alonzo both played 82 games that year. And Alonzo G, I thought like, okay, maybe the Cavs really have something. But as soon as LeBron came back, they, uh, they, punted Alonzo so fast and watching him get shuffled around the league was kind of rough but um no Kyrie really showed like was validating my just belief that he was becoming the guy for Cleveland like you said the 22 he averaged 22.5 points and then about six assists per game Vergel unfortunately only played 25 games and like we've talked about I talked about before and you just mentioned he averaged 14 and 14 but my biggest takeaway was the fact that I still didn't know how to feel about Dion waiters, but this also began my year of having to defend Dion waiters staunchly because people were so like my friends and like people who kind of vaguely followed the, or followed the NBA, but vaguely followed the Cavs. You're like, why did they pick Dion waiters and they have Kyrie Irving? So like, that was the beginning of me defending Dion waiters tooth and nail every chance I got. And they, they missed Bradley Beal by one pick. I mean, good it's, on the wizards. It's worked out. For well, them, I really wanted Michael kick Gilchrist at the time. And cause at Kentucky, he looked so good, and he thought he had the potential to maybe fix his shot, and clearly it didn't work out. But, like, it was that. He was good friends with Kyrie Irving because of high school and all these other things. But, hey, the Dion trade ended up working out in the end as well. Like, it's funny. Everything just kind of worked out in the end for the Cavs, despite some of the questions about these picks. And, like, Tyler Zeller was fun. Like you said, C.J. Miles was one of the best shooters on the team that year. He had some highs and lows, and once he found that consistency, he was pretty steady. Um, and then this was the fun bench mob I was talking about where they had Luke Walton, uh, Wayne Ellington. They had Sean Livingston. That's the name I was thinking of. Um, and they also had, uh, I think, Mo Spates. Was, yeah, yeah, Mo Spates was on the team at this point. Yeah, so like that, those, that quartet right there, and I think Tristan Thompson played with them a lot as well because Tristan was either starting or coming off the bench for Byron Scott still. And that was just a fun little bench mob they had for a bit. And I remember Cavs, the block at the time called them the Herculoids and that nickname still stuck with me just because the Cavs were playing some pretty bad basketball at that point. And just to have a bench mob that was just like kind of cohesive and good on both ends of the floor and just in all facets of the game is just a lot of fun to watch. That's what really stuck out with me this year for this Cavs. Yeah, it was, uh, it was quite the season. I, I was able to speak with Kevin Jones. He, uh, he had, he had fun with that team. You know, it was, it was his only year in the NBA you know, as the uh, final forecast podcast, with some of his old teammates at West Virginia. 
but it was the 2013-14 season, and there was a lot of hope. They decided to bring back Mike Brown, and then you had Kyrie played 71 games. I remember they had a great one over the Thunder. That, that's the first win that stands out in my mind. I remember watching the game on TNT. Last year, I'm a year off. That, that was the following year, so I was a freshman in college, and there's when LeBron was back. Ignore that, but they acquired Luol Deng. They acquired Spencer Hawes. They traded – they also signed Jarrett Jack. They brought in Andrew Bynum. That turned out to be a big fail. We'll get to that in a second. Matthew Dolovadova, undrafted standout, had some had a great moment on national TV against Miami, which basically got him his consistent minutes the rest of the year. The failed Earl Clark experiment. Oh, the hope that there was for Earl Clark. Seth Curry plays a game, and the Cavs had took the number. And I feel bad for him. You know, he was out of shape. He had some health issues. But Anthony Bennett was far and away the worst number one pick ever because he. At least Greg Oden had one good season. He never did anything. And Kwame Brown even stuck 12 years. This is not an Anthony Bennett bash train, but just giving the facts, Kwame had a long career somehow. He's even a bat, but what Kwame isn't even a rotation player in big three when he's seven ones. Just take that into account right now. Oden's also in the league actually playing well. So all the guys go there. But Evan, this was a, there's so much to unpack with this team. But what I remember. a ton to unpack. The six-game winning streak at some point in the middle of the season because the Cavs mm-hmm. hadn't won six in a row in what four or five years. Yeah, no, that was. There's a. I'm still like I'm unpacking this team as a whole because I'm. Like, I remember where I was. I was at an internship living in Indiana at the time, and so I spent. Couldn't get the Cavs, and this is before Fox Sports Go was really a thing. So like you had to either watch the. Sorry if anyone's listening that works at Fox Sports. My parents so I had to stream it illegally or listen to it on the radio, <laughs> but um. Yeah, no, they had a six-game win streak was kind of a high, but there was so many lows. Like, Jarrett Jack not working out was a problem. Um, Earl Clark not working out was a problem. Uh, Sergei Karasev just kind of stinking was not a good thing. Like, the Cavs had to undo a lot of these mistakes. Like, hiring Mike Brown back turned out not to be the right call. Uh, I remember at one point the Cavs were fighting for that eighth seed in the Eastern Conference, and their big three was Kyrie Irving. Uh, Luol Deng, who clearly didn't want to be here, and Spencer Hawes, who uh, turned out to be kind of a racist in the locker room and was kind of a dividing factor for the team there. Um, They lost to the Phoenix Suns, and the Cavs were winning for most of the game, and then I think that's what eliminated from the playoffs. I'm just like, I am so freaking frustrated with this team, but Dovdova was a highlight. Um, Anthony Bennett not getting it together, and just kind of being out of shape and out of place just was a consistent theme of his career and kind of a wasted pick. Uh, I was an Oladipo guy at the time and I've heard Dan Gilbert was too. So I feel validated that Dan and I both were right, but no, an an unfortunate highlight was the Andrew Bynum shot chart in practice and independence that year. I think there's, you can look it up online for those listening. Um, It's a big joke where like he was just Jack every time he touched the ball, he would hoist it from wherever he was. So it was like, full court threes, half court, three point shots. Then like the joke continued, like he was shooting it outside of the facility as well, but no, it was just a weird year and uh, things definitely got a lot better the following year. Yeah. We're going to get to that in a second. I was so excited about Andrew Bynum and then all oh, I was too. I thought I'm like the clinic can fix his knees. It's no big deal at all. His knees are good. He's putting up 2010. Now he's getting more minutes. It's keeping Varish out healthy because his workload is lesser. You know, Jarrett Jack wasn't great, but I'd, he'd have these great moments where he'd create his looks and get hot. He was probably one of the better veterans the Cavs had in these four years. You know, Dion was coming into his own. Cavs had that unreal 20-point piston comeback where Delhi had the first 2010 game and it might be the only one of his career. Dion hits the game winner. You know, uh, I didn't know 
though, Evan, about the uh, the racist remarks of Hawes in the locker room. That is that is actually news to me. I never I don't remember reading about that. Well, he wasn't wasn't necessarily racist remarks. Um, it's just more so his vibe overall. Like he was just like a hardcore Republican, and apparently, like they had a team party at his house, and somebody went in the bathroom, and he had like Obama toilet paper, and it rubbed a few guys the wrong way, and it's just like, all right, well, this is the kind of guy we have to play with, and it's um, we're gonna finish up this up with slugs versus thugs, but it just gives me vibes of that, where like you have a lot, you're playing with a lot of black men in your locker room and like you give off that vibe like i wouldn't want to go to war with you any day of the week if that was the case so yeah that was <laughs> yeah I, honestly i mean you've been covering the Cavs a while but i love getting that nugget wow now i was wondering why his career slowly tailed off after that because he i think he was on the hornets the clippers and maybe one other team gave him a shot he went from triple double guy which is rare for a center in philly and sacramento to just well, he was a unicorn at the time, too, because he oh. was a stretch five and those didn't really exist. And like that was exciting because he kind of did what Vergel did at times, but was able to stay healthy, which was the huge thing. And that's what made him fun. But yeah, no, there's just a lot of like outside factors I heard them why Spencer Hawes didn't work after Cleveland. And then it just kind of fell off from there because I think he isn't very athletic and he kind of got bodied by some of the bigger guys throughout the league as well. He played for L.A., Charlotte, and Milwaukee after that. He played another – so once he left Cleveland, he played a full year with the Clippers, which went horribly. Lance Stevenson, I think, was around the same time for them, Yeah, maybe a year later. And then you know, he went to Charlotte, wasn't so good. Charlotte and Milwaukee. I think him and Roy Hibbert both got phased out, unfortunately. Well, now we're not here to talk about Roy Hibbert, but I've nothing yeah. to expect for Roy Hibbert, and I wish it worked out differently. Um, oh, for but, sure. You know, we go ahead to 2014-15. Craziest offseason ever and for the Cavs. There is absolutely no debate about that. So they start, I think it started out with Scotty Hobson's contract being able to be moved. And then they moved Jarrett Jack and Tyler Zeller to the Nets. They, I think they shipped out a couple other guys. They had a lot of money available. So what they do is first they draft Wiggins after winning somehow the third lottery in four years. Everyone's like, it's rigged, it's rigged. It just, it just happens like that. It's not. Yeah. I never believed it was. And they use him and Anthony Bennett to go get a guy named Kevin Love, who uh, we, we know had uh, a couple some 30-30 uh, nights in Minnesota. He was on mm-hmm. an island. It was him, Randy Foy, Johnny Flynn, and Darko Milicic tearing it up. No, they, they had some decent players. Michael Beasley turned into a star who also didn't give a – give a hoot about what he did off the court. Yeah. They had Ricky Rubio too. And that's who ownership wanted to hitch their wagon to instead of Kevin Love. So it was a, it was a, they're on the fast track for divorce. And thankfully LeBron kind of working the strings in the background made it happen. Okay. So that, yeah, uh, July 8th, there was a July 9th. Uh, some letter is, is, uh, is public. It's called I'm coming home. It's, I'm coming home. Yeah. Yeah, LeBron's coming back. And where was I? I was away from my phone. I wasn't even in a place where I could get service. I had to wait for Wi-Fi. I have like 30 notifications about what do you think about LeBron? What? Huh? And then like, oh, LeBron's back. And it's funny, Evan, because he had left the Cavs high and dry the first time, just totally embarrassed them on national TV. I wasn't even that excited. I didn't know what I was supposed to feel. I thought it was, I didn't think it was going to happen. So when, when 2K14's like, they're seeing LeBron's right in their backyard. You never know. I mean, people talked about it in real life too, but in 2K, which I played a lot that year, and it's like, oh, this is reality. LeBron's a yeah. Weird. No, it, it was weird. I was grocery shopping with my uh, 
mom and dad at the time because I was still in college and it was just summertime. It, it, it's, it was around the World Cup because I remember he made the announcement that I think it was in Rio that year and he just peaced and didn't talk to the media for a solid two, three weeks about it. Um, and actually, I don't know if you've ever read this book, but Return of the King by Brian Windhorst really goes in depth on like all the work the Cavs did behind the scenes. Like this all started like bringing LeBron back. They did it intentionally when they Miami, I believe, was in town when they retired. No, 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 not Miami. New York, they're playing the Knicks when they retired as Junius Ogalskis' jersey, but they made sure they invited LeBron as a guest of honor and he got permission from the Heat to come out. And they did all the pomp and circumstance and they kind of just warmed LeBron back up to coming back to Cleveland. And then the idea was in the back of their head. And then Rich Paul was his agent at the time and said, like, listen, uh, LeBron wants to come back, but you need to clear cap space to sign him. And he kind of wants to make sure you guys are a championship team. So, like, the ball's in their court. And there's a lot of interesting stuff. Like, I feel so bad for Andrew Wiggins because I didn't know this at the time. But he played for Cleveland in the summer league that year yep. without a contract because the Cavs were waiting as long as possible to sign him so they could make moves to clear cap space to bring LeBron back. And then they, that's why the Kevin Love trade was so delayed as well, because the trade was pretty much agreed upon like moments until when LeBron came back, but they couldn't make it happen until a certain point. And like David Griffin had to play with his with the, close to the vest. And like, it was just such a tumultuous year, but no, to fast forward back, I remember where I was, I was so excited. Cause I didn't, I thought it was fake. I'm like, this is a joke. And like a bunch of my other friends were texting me this and sending me the, like the story. And I read it and I'm like, this can't be real. And I was just so excited and like, I didn't think it was going to happen. I was pretty sure it wasn't going to happen, just especially with how frustratingly the last season and for the Cavs, but no, David Griffin had a vision and their, their original plan was Gordon Hayward, I think. And then LeBron actually let the Cavs know that he had intentions of returning when Gordon Hayward was touring the facilities at Cleveland clinic course. Cause they just finished building the practice or finished up renovating the practice facility. And I think the story is like David Griffin said like, Hey, thanks Gordon. It's good, it's good to talk to you. And then he just kind of like petered off to his office and got on the phone with Rich Paul and the rest is history. Yeah, honestly, I'm happy, really happy for 2021 Gordon Hayward, who was always yeah. good. He was just injured and in a bad situation as far as being a star. People are surprised. Well, LOL at them. But uh, yeah, it's it's fascinating when you have a former All Star and you give him a more ball dominant role. Like he he still can replicate the, some similar success. He may not be the same player, but Gordon Hayward never just stopped magically being a good player. All of a sudden, mm-hmm. it's just kind of phased out in Boston, and it, it's unfortunate, but. Yeah, no, it, it also just kind of worked out for the Cavs in the end, too, because Hayward and Irving would have been fun, and that didn't work at the time. At least it didn't work out in Boston later on. But getting LeBron, then Kevin Love was just the best offseason the Cavs could have. And it's a little frustrating because they had to clean up a lot of the prior mistakes that I think Chris Grant was the GM at the time made with like signing. Earl, well, Earl Clark was gone, but like mostly getting rid of that Jared Jack contract. Like if they didn't get rid of Tyler Zeller, they would have more depth at the center position because then they had to make the move to get Mozgov later in the year yep. because LeBron, you know, learned to use the media as a weapon against the Cavs. And um, no, it's just a lot of weird transformative moves. Like I'm looking at the opening light, night like roster and Joe Harris, James Jones, Brendan Haywood, and Alex Kirk didn't play. And Alex Kirk barely played. And I remember Lou Amundsen was on this roster as yep, well. Yep. Like there's a lot of just guys that didn't really seem like they fit. And then that's where I learned also that David Griffin can make something out of nothing because he's able to get Shumpert and Smith and Mozgov. And then he makes some other smart moves. Like he has Sean Marion and Mike Miller as well on the roster. And then, I mean, they do lose Joe Harris's 
more or less just unable to play because of injuries. He only plays five or no, he plays. Oh no, he played. five games his second. He got traded fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he played five games his second season due to the injuries, and then he ends up in Brooklyn. And then it all kind of well, he ends up in Orlando at first, gets waived, and he ends up in Brooklyn. But either way, I'm happy Joe Harris's career is turning yeah. around. It's it that's that is another what if for me is like what if the Cavs kept Joe Harris because he's such an elite shooter now, but it didn't seem the case at the time, so it's it's all good. My favorite Lou Amundsen nugget is that uh, being in the New York, New Jersey area, I watched the Nick game. He played so well. He got the post-game interview. Who would have thought the same year he was averaging 0.9 and 2 for the Cavs, he get a post-game interview with the Knicks. But, yeah, this was a fun This was a fun Cavs year. You know, it was weird. Yeah. There's the Dion LeBron drama, not just Dion Kyrie anymore. You know, Sean Marion was a starting shooting guard for a long stretch. I was cool, I guess. Uh, no, not, yeah. not, not cool at all. You know, they signed Perk late in the year. That would actually come into play in the first round of the playoffs when everyone was just injuring each other, it seemed. You know, uh, Jay Crowder tore his MCL on, a dirt, on what seemed like a dirty play from JR. Perk stepped in. JR was suspended for the next series, which actually gave way to Delhi getting extra minutes and making a significant impact. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shumpert was injured when the, when the Cavs got him from the Knicks, which actually allowed JR Smith to be the starter when it was supposed to be Shumpert starting Smith off the bench. They never went back from that. But we're going to actually skip to the 15-16 year. A quick run through a 14-15. Everyone remembers. Beat the Celtics. Kevin Love breaks his arm. Kelly Olenek, dirty, dirty play. First round. Then they face Chicago in six. LeBron and D-Rose exchange buzzer-beating winners in, in consecutive games. Cavs in six. Delhi scored 19 in the closeout. Then you go to Atlanta, where Kyrie's in and out of the lineup. And this plays a factor in the finals. They sweep the Hawks, which they'd done many times. I think it was the Fourth, they ended up sweeping the Hawks four times in LeBron's 11 years in Cleveland in the playoffs. And they did it in all three rounds that are eligible. Lose Kyrie in overtime in game one of the finals. They still force it to six. Evan, we go ahead to 15-16, and we're going to skip right to the gate to the midpoint. How many times have we ever seen a team that's 30 and 11 fire their head coach? Not very often, but – and I was not a fan of it at the time. I was more of a casual fan still at this point, and I just look at this team like they're playing well. Um, David Blatt seems like he's just – he has – he knows what he's doing. But um, it turns out Blatt was always more of a Dan Gilbert hire, and eventually like he just took pulse of the locker room, and he said it wasn't going to work. And obviously it worked out in the end with hiring Ty Lue, who's now arguably the best coach in franchise history. But – um, yeah, not many teams do that and really recover and have the recovery the Cavs did where they go and they end up doing what they did. But I was dumbfounded at the time. So I'm like, this team's 30 and 11. Why are you rocking the boat this hard right now? Yeah, and they would go 27 and 14 the rest of the way. The 57 wins were the most the Cavs team had since they'd won 61 in LeBron's farewell year the first time through. And again, and we could talk about the regular season. It's a pretty similar roster. They brought in Richard Jefferson, who I think had been on Utah the prior year. Mo Williams comes back, although not the same. Mo, he had a couple of good moments. You know, Dante Jones came at the end of the season. That would matter later. Barajal would be uh, traded to Portland, waived, and then signed with the team the Cavs would eventually play. You know, uh, James Mm -hmm. Jones slowly, slowly phased out. They brought in Channing Frye. We're going to skip right ahead, you know, sweep the Pistons. What do they do again? They sweep the Hawks, setting three-point records left and right. When that playoff series started, it was the end of my sophomore year. I remember watching the – I think it was the sweep game where they just couldn't miss. Conference finals, they go up 2-0 to Toronto, drop the next two before winning two, and then 3-1. 
Evan. 3-1, mm-hmm. Warriors lead the Cavs after trailing goal, OKC 3-1. It only seems fitting that the Warriors come back from 3-1, then they lead 3-1, that they would blow the lead that they had just come back from, right? Yeah, it, it does seem fitting, and they won it in the mo- The Cavs won this championship in the most Cleveland way possible, and I thought the Cavs had zero chance every single game. Well, no, actually, after game six, obviously when it's 3-3, I felt a lot more confident going in. But, like, when the Cavs went down 3-1, I'm like, okay, this is an all-time great Warriors team. This is going to be really tough sledding. But the Cavs dug deep, and that's 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 what I – Looking back now, you know, Tyler was the right coach because he knew how to push the right buttons on this team that David Blatt didn't because the, the team lost all respect for David Blatt because LeBron didn't respect him right away and he respected the tie, so it all worked out. But, you know, this cast team dug deep, and um, I know this upsets my girlfriend every now and then when I say it, but, like, this is the happiest moment of my life when what <laughs> happened in Game 7. Like, I, I sobbed because we talk about those teams with, like, Semi or Den and – there's like Samardo Samuels and Luke Heron Like I think about having to deal with a lot of that crap. And then like you reach the pinnacle in the most Cleveland way possible. Cause you come back from a three, one deficit and I rode that high and I still am to this point. Like that, that team will always be forever special to me. Um, like I've had other teams in my life that I've rooted for win big and no, it just, nothing will ever touch this because I think I'm just, I love this team so much and basketball is my favorite sport that, it just, it's, it'll always be special. And yeah, but like, just like I said, the like game six, when Kyrie and LeBron both put up about 40 on golden state and Steph Curry throws his mouthpiece and gets ejected. Like, I'm like, okay, the Cavs are in their head. I think they might have a chance. And then they're getting clobbered in the first half. And then J.R. Smith goes unconscious in the second half and get them back in the game. And then it's 81, 81 for what felt like an eternity. And then eventually the Cavs break away, but or it's 89, 89. Either way, it was deadlocked for a while. And um, no, it's such a such a great series. And I'm okay. Like if the Cavs never win again, I'm okay. Like yeah. this was this was the best way to win a championship. That's a once in a lifetime type of title. And my six word summary of the NBA finals, uh, basically this sums up the whole series. The block, the shot, the love. And that's it. Kevin did his yep. thing, Kyrie did his thing, and LeBron instilled the chase down block into the body that two calves this year already have chase down blocks. Maybe we're going to get a, whenever, if the calves ever reach the finals again, Isaac Okoro and Jetty Austin will be doing chase down blocks. Like, like they're like they're the highest paid players in the league, which we're not going to get into, but it, you never know. Life's weird. You know, Larry Sanders came back and played on this team after having no interest in basketball. Bogut gets hurt 50 seconds in Birdman was on the calves actually to start the year before he got hurt. Weird mm-hmm. roster. They bring in Kyle Korver and Darren Williams. Not really much else. Actually, I'm a year behind. Oops. Uh, never mind that. You're, you're good, man. We're, we're, uh, well, let's go to 2016-17. Yeah, like, Birdman, Bogut. Uh, I hope I got hurt 50 seconds in. Uh, DeAndre Liggins played good defense. Uh, they had to start way too much. Eddie Mike Tavari. Dunleavy became yep. my most hated player even more when he came to Cleveland. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not not a big. I I I always thought he was the worst starting small forward in the league when he was in Chicago. But good for him for being able to shoot the ball. I mean, I just hated him for that dirty play on Giannis, and then he comes to Cleveland. And oh, he just that's absolutely right. yep. stinks up the place. And then, but the Cavs were able to just to play despite him being so bad, and they were like so nuclear on offense that 
I talked to a few people around the league. They said the 16-17 Cavs were one of the best teams of all time. And if they didn't run into the buzzsaw that were the Golden State Warriors, they would have been a dynasty because that team was absolutely insane on offense. And then they go out and get Kyle Korver, and they're like, oh, it's just the rich getting richer at this point. And, like, Darren Williams wasn't too great. But, no, that, that Cavs team was so, so good because I think that was JR's contractor as well. So he was trying really hard, and it was just a fun year offensively for the Cavs. Yeah, and there's not really much to say about the finals. Kevin Durant apparently became the guy in the NBA when he hit that three. LeBron passed the torch to him. That's never been acknowledged. I will not acknowledge that. It was, the Warriors dominated. The Cavs were 12-1 and in the first three rounds. They were teetering on Lakers 2000-2001 territory if Durant wasn't there. But, you know, he was. You can't take away history. The Cavs lose. Not really much to say about the finals besides the fact that when you have three of the top four shooters in the world, you know, you're going to win. And you also have a yeah. guy named Draymond who is a defensive menace. But, you know, we, we go to the, to the next year where Ty Lue, or actually, I'm still a year behind, 2017-18. This is uh, the year Kyrie has to be traded. Broke yeah, my heart. Yep, Kyrie is not on this roster, and his place is Isaiah Thomas, Ante Zizic, Jake Crowder, and a future man with an afro, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But I'm just going to skip right ahead. You know, this was a weird year. D. Wade was a Cav for a little while. Derek Rose was a Cav. I mean, D. Wade, Derek Rose. We got the 2010 GOATs right here. Uh, oh, yeah. if, if you could put this team in a time machine and be the greatest team of all time. Yeah. You have LeBron, Dwayne Wade, Derek Rose. Like, that alone is just bonkers. Yeah, and then you still got you still got JR and Shump who are going through some injury woes and whatnot. Actually, would they – they trade Shumpert that year? No, Shumpert was traded to the Kings at that deadline and then would reset. Yeah, he was part of the roster blow-up that Kobe Altman did. Yep, so then they traded Crowder. They, they traded the – they fleeced the Lakers. They, they had to give up Isaiah Thomas and Channing Fry for Nance and Clarkson. Nance still a huge part of the Cavs. Clarkson was for a couple of years. And mm. they ended up getting Fry back, and Isaiah ended up leaving the Lakers. So I don't know what that was. The Lakers – could have really know, used Larry, to be honest. I mean, well, the Lakers cleared up a max salary space, which oh, is sign LeBron. So all it right. all kind of worked out in the end. But at the time, it was a smart trade for Cleveland, and getting Larry Nance was a huge thing for them, just in terms of marketing, in terms of the player he's become as well. Because Cleveland kind of knew they're getting this kind of player, but like when he was coming out of the Lakers, you just thought, okay, this is a dunker and a rebounder. And now Larry Nance is just kind of viewed as one of the good jack of all trades master of none guy so yeah no that was a huge thing this was jetty osmond's rookie year as well which was yep. exciting too but this was a a stressful Cavs team for me because they were so loaded with talent but it's just there's such a fracture in the organization because lebron didn't want the team to trade Kyrie, and then Kyrie threatened knee surgery so they were kind of their hand was kind of forced jay crowder didn't want to be here isaiah thomas stunk up the place Derek rose left the team just in the midst of um, the season and then it came back married with a different haircut and everything else. Um, yep. uh, it, and then it was just a, there was a lot of cancer going in the locker room. Isaiah Thomas calling out people. There's the Kevin Love blow up where they were quite, and that's where Kevin Love had his panic attack and he became a mental health warrior that he is now and like doing a lot of great work there. But Kobe Alban recognized the problem, realized that trading Kyrie was a mistake. He still held on to that Brooklyn pick, which I don't know if the Cavs could have done much with, but um. Another fun what if is LeBron wanted the Cavs to trade the Brooklyn pick. So he threw a game against the Nets that where Spencer Dinwiddie went off. And a lot of people think, and I 
at least when it comes to records and the coin flip, that if the Cavs had beat the Nets there, they could have ended with Luka Doncic instead of Colin Sexton. Just based just on how the, in Cleveland. Oh, yeah. You know, the Slovenian population in Cleveland would go absolutely bonkers for him. But um, this was an ex- this was an exhausting year at times during the regular season. But the final LeBron performance we got in the playoffs was something to behold because – I was convinced they were going to lose to the Pacers in the first round for sure. Yeah. And I actually, in retrospect, I I'm glad the Cavs made the finals, but I feel bad because Indiana, that was the last time Indiana won any game in the playoffs. Nate McMillan was what three and what, five and 16 and five yeah. playoff trips or four, which is terrible. I think they're going to be better this year by when we get there. We're not up to this year. We're still traveling back to the past, but yeah, the Pacers series was interesting. I think uh, the Raptors just had no shot at all and the Cavs swept them and they got hey, it's it's fitting for the last LeBron year to put the Raptors in their place one last time <laughs> and it got the coach of the year Dwayne Casey fired where he'd go to Detroit where we found out he I do like him but he's not as good a coach as we were led to believe based on the talent they had now we look at it they yeah. almost lost to the Celtics they had the one of the wildest conference final game sevens in recent memory and it was good to see the Cavs win a game seven against Boston after what happened the last time and then, yeah, LeBron went superhuman in game one. George Hill missed a free throw. J.R. Smith didn't know how much time was on. LeBron looked at him like he just sold his house while LeBron was still living there. It was that look. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're good. Oh, yeah, I just sold that. What? It was it was a weird. Yeah. I was – I had zero expectations. I'm like, listen, that Boston game was series was a slog. LeBron went – and Jeff Green, shout out to Jeff Green, an underrated piece of this Cavs team. They really carried the Cavs in game seven against Boston. And I'm like, okay, I think this is the best we're going to see from this Cavs team. Like, I don't know how much further LeBron can carry them. Then LeBron goes superhuman. And then, like, I'm like, oh, my God, the Cavs are actually going to, like, win a game against Golden State because this Warriors team was very, very primed. And, like, Kevin Durant knew how to win a championship at this point. So, like, that's the difference maker, too, is, like, the best player on the Warriors knew what it took to win it all. So, like, that's a huge thing too and i'm like oh my god when it then george hill misses the free throw then jr smith forgets how much time there is and just it took all the air out of the Cavs' sales and then it also lebron allegedly broke his hand after that game we didn't find out about that until they lost game four and they were swept by golden state and he had that soft cast on so it might have been a little bit of theatrics on his part but who knows um that was rough though i was just dumbfounded that's how the game and i just like sat and watched over time like a stunned silence and i'm like they're gonna lose who cares like just let's get this five minutes over with so i can just go on with my evening <laughs> i had to watch the i was in another time zone so i was watching these last two games at from 2 to 5 a.m i think the second game i actually somehow over i mean you can't oversleep in the middle of the night but i fell asleep my alarm never went off so i think i woke up in the third quarter of game four so i didn't even see what happened in the first half but it was it was something, you know, they didn't win. And then LeBron says, I'm out. And then he's off to L.A. And what do the Cavs yeah. do? They have they use 27 players the following season, 18 of which started a game. They had uh, the the Pat McCaw experiment for a couple of days. He was there for a week and then mm-hmm. goes to Toronto and wins another championship because he's Patrick McCaw. And that's what he does. I mean, he was in the bubble. The Raptors probably would have beaten the Celtics and won the title last year. Let's be real. Not actually, but low-key. I mean, Jordan Clarkson played 81 games. Colin Sexton came in, 17 points. Remember, he's like, pitch to LeBron. Colin on draft night, yeah, come win LeBron. Yeah, for a 20-year-old, that's a pretty good line on the spot I didn't think he expected. But, I mean, too much on Tate Zizic. He averaged 18 minutes over 59 games. 
David Nawaba was in and out. They had Rodney Hood, who did not finish the year with the team, but had some really nice moments. You know, uh, J.R. Smith was exiled by the team. J.R. Smith was exiled because he didn't want to be there. They fired Tyloo after six games. And Larry, I don't want to coach, but I guess you're going to make me coach Drew. I had to coach 76 games without a without Man. job stability. I mean, I feel bad for Larry Drew because at one point he told the media straight up, he's like, I don't think I ever want to coach ever again after coaching this Cavs team. And I'm like, that's rough. <laughs> he was forced into it. I mean, yeah, he, he, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't want to take over for Ty either. He just said like, I'll be the voice of the team. I don't want to be coach. And like, it's just an uncomfortable situation. And this was a, this was a rough year because Kevin Love got hurt early into the year. And then the veterans were making comments and shots about Colin Sexton to the media, just talk about how he doesn't know how to play. He doesn't know how to shoot, but the only real silver lining from this year was the fact that Colin Sexton just kind of really turned it on after the all-star break when he was snubbed from rising stars. And then we started to see like, okay, this kid might be a lot better because historically the eighth overall pick isn't great. Um, But no Sexton, looked good and this is just more of, of a lot of what um the Cavs did last time LeBron left is a lot of asset acquisition and tearing down full old assets from the former era of LeBron and just trying to recoup some things because they flipped Kyle Korver for Alec Burks in a second round pick and eventually they accumulated a bunch of second round picks that became Kevin Porter Jr. the following off season and so it's been um an interesting time for the Cavs but it's also just it, that was a rough season because just Larry Drew was asleep at the wheel. Ty Lue got fired early on in the year. Kevin Love was hurt. Everyone hated Colin Sexton. And just I think the Cavs just needed to get through that year and then kind of just keep moving forward. Yeah. And you move forward, by the way. Fun, Colin Sexton was snubbed again last year, Rising Stars, despite averaging 21 a game. He only got in because of an injury. So let, let it be known that for some reason, if if the decision makers aren't in Cleveland, there's just Colin Sexton hate going round, which I truly don't get. But, you know, we look at last season. Kevin Love was healthy. You know, they, the season was cut short. We're going to get to the highlights of the season as we wrap up the decade. Clarkson was traded. They got Exum, who had that superhuman game against Minnesota, totally out of the blue. And it still only averaged six points a game for the season. Mm-hmm. And Kevin Porter had some great moments when he was on the floor, had a couple injury issues, you know. Larry was more of a backup at this point, more of a power forward. They brought in a guy named Andre Drummond at the deadline, who <laughs> last year seemed more concerned with putting up his stats than playing defense. Obviously, we've seen a different Andre this year. And then it's, you know, it's funny when you're in a contract year versus when you're not in a contract year, is what I'm kind of saying there. I, I agree. You know, I, I never examine contract year seasons like that per se, but yeah, you're going to work harder. For, for the Benjamins, but yeah, Kevin yep. Love was healthy, which I was happy with. You know, he had some good moments. Darius Garland was drafted. Uh, probably, you know, they, they got, by the way, maybe one of the best trades of, I don't know how many years. They traded Brandon Knight, and look, John Henson was solid as a shot blocker, but I mean, he wasn't playing much. It didn't seem like Beeline was much of a fan of his. They traded Brandon Knight, who was a, basically out of the rotation, and John Henson to get an all-star center in Drummond. So, I mean... That was yeah. great, but I want to focus on this, Evan, as we wrap up. John Beeline, 14 and 40, no idea what he was doing. I thought he was a good, very good coach in Michigan. He's had some, some of his players, you know, the likes of Duncan Robinson and Tim Hardaway, Trey Burke. have had some great moments in the NBA. Trey and Tim are now teammates in Dallas. 
the the peak of beeline was the thugs versus slugs when neither word should have been used anyway so he's calling them yeah. slugs it seems kind of childish and allegedly it, calling them slugs allegedly either way if he was calling them thugs then he's saying that they're that they're yeah. dudes off the court but i just want to add there was an article i don't remember who on the athletic put it out there was all anonymous sources all of his plays like panda giraffe koala and people thought it was yeah. childish that that was his playbook so that and thugs versus slugs make for a 54 game crap shoot it was um the john balen era was interesting to say the least i didn't expect it when they were going through the hiring process i heard kobe altman was in the process of talking to some assistants with denver and utah and um this is more of a Dan Gilbert hire because Dan's white whale was always having a college coach coach his team for the longest time. He wanted Izzo from Michigan state to come down because Dan's Michigan state alumni, but he got arguably one of the best college coaches ever. And John Bayline, just in terms of just producing success, consistent success. And John Bayline was known for creating something out of nothing or taking like two, three star recruits and turning them into the first round pick quality players. Like you said, like Hardaway Burke and even um, Duncan Robinson, who funnily enough, didn't have a single play run for him at Michigan. And then they have plays run for him in Miami and look how good he is now. But um, it was in over his head way too fast. And it started with the veterans not respecting him. I think Kevin Love and Tristan Thompson were huge fans of his. And since those two were kind of the leaders, it trickled down from there. Like he had a good, Balin had a really good rapport with Nance because Nance just lives in the area and is here year round. So he was always just working out in the facility. So he got to know Bayline a little bit, but Bayline was just stubborn. He wanted to take what he knew in college and try and apply it to the NBA. And he wasn't willing to adapt or make things work. And it was kind of a square peg round hole situation where he was just forcing things that just weren't working. And then it just didn't work out. And the Cavs wanted him to try and stay until the end of the season and then just let him quietly walk away. But he coaches against the Hawks and he tells the team after the game, he's like, okay, I'm done. I think the Cavs won that game too. And then J.B. Bickerstaff gets thrusted into the head coaching position. He is now the head coach. He's not just an interim head coach. The team made that explicitly clear when he took over for Bayline. This is kind of the plan all along and just a lot sooner than they expected. But uh, Bickerstaff's everything that Bayline isn't, where he has the respect of the locker room. He has the command and attention of the locker room. And he's willing to tinker and do things a little weird and unconventional, like he played Nance at the three, Love at the four, Tops at the five, and – it worked against Miami. Larry Nance actually came on my show, locked on Cavs, and shared with us. He's like, Miami didn't know what we were doing, and to be honest, we didn't know what we were doing either. So that was an interesting time. But um, it was just a weird experiment, and it's some weird parallels you can draw to like Blatt and Tyloo, where maybe the Cavs just would have been better off hiring Tyloo to begin the time with LeBron, and the Cavs would have just been better off hiring JB Bickerstaff to coach this team instead of John Bayline because. You watch this team play when they're at full strength and like they're really committed to what bigger staff is preaching as both a leader on and off the court to them. And like you think how different would this calf season have gone? It could have been the same results, but at least it would have been a lot more palatable basketball to watch if bigger staff was just coaching from the beginning. Yeah, if they had, uh, I think it was, if they had won seven or eight more games, it would have been good enough to get a bubble invite. Not that they would have done too well, given that they wouldn't have had any easy matchups, but. You know, the season got cut short and that long – it stinks that everyone's injured right now as we're in the 2020-21 year. It's not really going to add much to it. Technically, it's a new decade. But things do look good, and I do think that the decision to install Bickerstaff with time left in last season gave us, you know, the vision that this year could be better. And in the Cavs were 3-0, and 
this year. And I do think, Evan, as we'll see as we continue to cover the team, respectively, you and I, throughout the season, that good moments are definitely going to continue to happen. It's just when will guys be on the floor to enjoy them? Yeah, no, it's um, these last two games, because we're just talking about the Cavs now against Memphis and Utah were definitely slogs. And I think the Cavs resting all those guys, whether it's mostly Drummond, Garland and Sexton, I think is a smart call. And you hope they come back against New York and being nine months removed is just really showing that the Cavs, may not have been physically equipped to play basketball right away. It's just kind of sneaking up on them and it's unfortunate, but um, also a bit of a blessing in disguise too, because this upcoming draft class is loaded. And if the Cavs are able to land a top five, top 10, hopefully a top five or even the number one pick and get like a Cade Cunningham or what have you, like it's going to set them up pretty long-term. Yeah. There's some good things ahead for the Cavs, you know, might not get your next LeBron. You could easily get your next superstar though. It's going to be fun. As we wrap up on the fifth and final decade, appreciate everybody that's tuned in and that's been a part, you know, Dan Galinsky, Justin Match, and Ben Jones. And of course, today's guest, Evan Damarell. It's been great, you know, talking some, it feels like it's already been a long time, but uh, recent Cavs history, Evan. Yeah, no, really. We talked about this before we came on. You said like, I'm, 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 I'm older at 25. And I'm like, brother, if you're tw- feeling old at 25, I'm ancient at tw- almost 28, but no, it's, um, I think it's just fun because I can remember exact moments of where I was at certain points in my life. Like, and there's a lot of just ups, downs, in betweens, but I just know the Cavs have consistently been there. And I think there's also like little timestamps for me and just keep a reminder of like, yeah, uh, when Luke Heron Goody was going off, I was in college watching with my roommates or when the Cavs won the title in 2016. My brother was peeling me off the floor of PJ, Ma- the sticky floor of PJ McIntyre's because everybody spilled their beer in celebration. And like, it's just a, it's been a fun decade for the Cavs. And hopefully the next decade is maybe not have the same amount of success, but hopefully they can be a consistent playoff team and we can have some more fun memories along the way. Absolutely. No doubt about that. And again, big shout out to Evan for hopping on as we wrap up the fifth and final decade of the across the Cavs. History miniseries. That'll do it for this edition. As always, I'm Zach Weiss. And, you know, there won't, we can't say there'll be another mini series like this, but, you know, there's always different things to, uh, to look at and analyze. So look for similar content to come.